Hello, I'm Ryan Cook, and this is Civic Tech Chat, a podcast about the civic technology movement. We seek to harness the power technology has to improve the delivery of public services to people everywhere. This week, we're joined by Kent Wyatt, founder of Engaging Local Government Leaders, ELGL, and one of the hosts of GovLove, a podcast supported by that organization. Both of these things seek to help build community amongst local government leaders out there by doing things like sharing best practices, sharing ideas and innovations, and bringing education out to the group. This particular episode is part of a podcast swap that we're doing with GovLove, so I would certainly urge you to go ahead and check them out and to give them a listen. I'll leave it to Kent to describe a bit more about the organization and about the podcast, but we'll be learning both of those things as well as about a bit about him personally. So let's go ahead and hop right into the discussion. Kent, uh, thank you so much for joining us on the program. I'm uh, personally quite excited to jump into this conversation with you. Uh, to get us started, could you uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you're doing now? Sure. My name is Kent Wyatt, uh, co-founder of ELGL, which is the Engaging Local Government Leaders. Uh, I'm also a full-time employee with the City of Tigard, Oregon, as a senior management analyst uh, in the, in the uh, excuse me, obviously in the city manager's office doing social media, federal legislative affairs, uh, and communications. And uh, before we get too farther in this conversation, I do want to thank you, Ryan, for the work that you're doing with Civic Tech uh, Chat, especially the, I know a number of our members attended the Code for America Summit. But uh, the wrap-up episode was really cool to hear uh, what folks were doing there and how excited they were moving forward. Uh, so I know your podcast has been a must-listen for a number of our members uh, out there. We have at ELGL has about 4,000 members throughout the country, uh, and podcasting really has been a great way for us to connect uh, with each other across the country, but also with other organizations and, and other groups such as yours that are doing uh, incredible work in this field. Oh, thank you so much for the kind words. I, I definitely agree that uh, podcasting can be a really interesting way to kind of form a fabric to keep a community uh, contiguous, I guess, and connected. Related to that so in, in your work, I would be curious, and this is something I try to ask guests uh, as a way of uh, getting to kind of why they go about things. So what is your personal why? Uh, what drives you to get out of bed and, and do what you do? Uh, I love this question, although sometimes it makes me cry a little bit. Um, my my personal why, I was on a podcast a number of years ago and was kind of asked in a similar vein, uh, what motivates you and what is your why? Um, and at that time, it was really, uh, I look at my career backwards. Uh, what are people going to say about me when I retire? My dad was a, a city manager for over 30 years, and I remember going to events with him, community events, and people authentically were thanking him for the work he was doing as a city manager. And he knew their names. He knew one or two things about them and was able to engage them in that conversation. Uh, fast forwarding a couple years, um, I have now I have two daughters, an eight-year-old and six-year-old, Eleanor and Josephine, who I hope one day will be loyal listeners to your podcast. Um, but that's really my why. I get out of bed in, in trying to figure out how we can make local government better for them, for their generation. There's obviously, and we may talk about this later, uh, a pretty big gender gap when it comes to leadership in government. Uh, obviously, it's also prevalent in the tech world. And we as the LGL and me as a person don't think that should continue to exist. In 30 years, actually, from 1984 to 2014, 13% of the leaders in local government were female. That number did not change from 1984 to 2014. Uh, if you think about your listeners think about where they were in those two different age periods, if they were even born. Uh, I was six years old at that time. The fact that that hasn't changed is just disgraceful to me. Um, and I appreciate the great work done by my dad's generation and other generations in the local government field, especially. But it's time for real change when it comes to diversity, when it comes to gender, race, sexuality. Um, and along those lines, it comes to it, it's now the time to start embracing these new ways of doing things in government. I think one of them being um, technology and how we use that uh, in our local government life. So for me, I hope my daughters, Josephine and Eleanor are around uh, for my retirement party. And, and when they hear people talking about their dad, I want them to uh, hear genuine comments about uh, the ways I was able to help people either in a small way or larger ways. Um, and that's really what drives me to get up every morning and 
and go to work for the city of Tigard and in my spare time, uh, do what I can do with ELGL and trying to advance our mission. Nice. I, I really love that answer. You've clearly thought about your, your why there, and it sounds like you've got a very strong core that kind of emanates out then into what you do out in the world. And uh, I definitely also uh, like your mention of the uh, the gender gap there, as uh, I was going to ask you a bit about that. As our listeners may well know, uh, you have a, quite a path uh, through uh, state and local government where you've gained uh, some pretty significant experience. Uh, as you talk about that gap, have you seen things in your experience that maybe that could be replicated, could be used to perhaps be helpful uh, in the endeavor to close it as opposed to uh, behaviors that are perhaps damaging and only seek to like perpetuate that? Sure. And, and it's a personal issue too. My wife was the assistant city manager for the city of West Lynn. And that's actually why we moved from Richmond, Virginia to West Lynn uh, 10, 12 years ago and was a superstar there for a number of years, moved out moved throughout the organization, moved up um, and about five or six years after she had been there. Uh, and they were deciding on who to appoint as the next city man, interim city manager. Uh, one of the female counselors actually pointed out in that discussion that a young mom with kids should not really be up for consideration for that job. Uh, that young mom with kids was my wife, Kirsten. Um, so that's the most uh, burning experience I've had with that. But to flip that question and kind of where it started on, on what I've seen as effective and I don't. I think we we struggle with this because there's not a short-term fix. Uh, you really do have to get into elementary schools and high schools um, and start introducing the field of local government to people and letting them know the opportunities that are there. Really, if you think about it, uh, what we do in local government, city, county government, there's some sort of skill set that matches what you're interested in, and that's for boys and girls. We don't do a good good enough job of of selling the profession. Um, and then something that we're working on in ELGO, mentioned a minute ago, the diversity bat dashboard. It started off as the 13% initiative, which was really just to highlight that discrepancy and the lack of change that we've had. Um, and with the diversity dashboard, what we hope to accomplish is in all 50 states, we're measuring the number of uh, female CAOs or CEOs, uh, that top level position in the organization. We're measuring that by race, gender, veteran status, um, and we hope. Uh, in the next few weeks, we'll release that data, and we'll, it is quite disturbing in the lack of, of progress, but with that, uh, release some initiatives that we can take to move forward, um, and I think that starts with all of us from executive recruiters. I think a lot of times they have their circle of people who tend to be older white males that they continue to contact for these same jobs, and to me, they hold the responsibility of not being out there and building their network. You have city councils who are comfortable with each other and often with each other is older white males. So you're even leaving out some of that younger generation. Uh, and then as a lot of us in ELGL and, and folks listening probably, those of us who are in it day to day as senior management analysts or department heads, uh, it's up to us to advocate um, when we're doing a hiring that the interview panel should represent the organization and represent the community. Shouldn't necessarily be everybody from that department. It shouldn't be people who have been there 15 years. Uh, it should be a wide range uh, of diversity. Uh, those are some of the smaller steps, I think, as just employees of a local government that we can take and start to ingrain in our organizations. Um, and yes, I realize that's easier said than done, uh, but I do feel like there is that movement brewing for people wanting to have that small part of making sure that their organizations are addressing the future needs of their workforce. What you're saying there uh, really resonates with me. Uh, I know, um, in fact, even on kind of the technology side, there's been a struggle to have uh, participants that are uh, representative of the communities we're trying to serve. And it sounds like that is the kind of the similar sort of struggle that you're seeing there on the government side as well. And I think that trying to accomplish that really only seeks to do something that is eminently positive. Uh, and related to your path, I noticed you, you've been accruing some experience in analyst-type roles now in three different cities, including Richmond, Virginia, uh, Salem, Oregon, and Tigard, Oregon. And I'd be curious to hear, as you've gone along your path there, what has surprised you the most and what has surprised you the least about your service? Yeah, you're right. I've been in, in, been in that analyst role, uh, and I, it is good from the respect that, uh, or from the point that 
you get a wide range of experience of projects. Um, and I, I would say the surprising thing and, and probably not surprising for a lot of the listeners is just how far we are behind in, in embracing new technologies. I knew when I worked in Salem, which that was probably 2008, 2009 uh, timeframe, when I started there, they were still using WordPerfect and they were going through a big transition to get folks onto Microsoft Word. And that was, there was a lot of pushback in simply doing that. Um, so I, I've been, I guess, a little bit discouraged in the lack of progress that I've seen in the ability uh, for local government to embrace those new technologies what, that are out there. And yes, I think a lot of, of what the areas for improvement as government start with ourselves, but it also starts with recognizing there's tools out there, there's people out there uh, that can do it better than we can. Uh, and whether that's bringing an open data platform to your organization, whether that's bringing a civic engagement tool to your organization. Um, these, in a lot of times, are not expensive tools that are out there um, and really begging to be used. You know, it's similar to, we deal a lot with executive recruiters in ELGL and trying to connect our members to that next uh, step in their career. And with that, there seems to be kind of this wall that we put up on where we can't get too close in talking to those recruiters or that might spoil the process. Uh, and I feel like we have the same uh, mentality when it comes to working out with folks outside our organization, whether that's vendors, contractors, um, groups that are out there offering a product. Uh, just because you're talking to somebody, somebody doesn't mean you have to use it. We as government are scared to even look at it because that might give off the wrong impression. So I think a lot of that comes down to just building connections and not being fearful in building those connections. Nice. In, in a vein similar to uh, connections, as you mentioned, uh, something else I noticed doing a little background is that a former colleague of yours had some really incredible things to say about their experience uh, being mentored by you. Uh, in your experience, uh, what qualities make for a good mentorship like what, was, what clearly happened there? Time. Um, I've seen this in organizations that I've been at. It, everybody wants to have an intern or a fellow, but when it comes time to actually um, having real substantial work for that person to do, uh, we don't always step up and say, oh yeah, I have a project for this person, this him or her. And I think it's really unfortunate because I, I know I've been in meetings weekly where people say that, yeah, I can't do this because I'm too busy or we have to put this off until later because we don't have the resources. Well, we have great resources younger people that are willing to work for basically free for six months to a year and not putting them to work and do, giving them some, something substantial. Uh, and to put specific on that, uh, the last couple interns that, that I've worked with, you know, we had them working on a, basically taking over and working the task force for the homeless that we were doing. Um, they worked on some of our local option levy communications. So not just filing in the corner, uh, they were part of the organization, uh, part of that uh, matters about where they're sitting. They're sitting near the city manager's office. So they kind of see that informal communication. But, you know, if we don't care about these people that we're bringing into our organization, they're going to find a different career path. Um, and I've seen that happen. Um, so I personally don't want to see that experience uh, with folks that I work with. Um, and I know when I did my internships, I started off with an internship for the Bank of America. I thought I wanted to be in the banking world. And that six months was probably the worst experience of my life. And I'm sure the, the profession is great, but the people that I was reporting to didn't provi provide a fulfilling experience. So I try to carry that into local government and, and making sure that we're doing the best we can uh, with the folks that are coming to our organization. It's, it's really great to hear you uh, describe it that way. I know on, uh, on some prior iterations of this program, we've had folks come on and talk a bit about how important like that employee experiences and trying to keep uh, people around in your organization. And it sounds like you've put a lot of energy into trying to create that positive environment uh, to keep folks of value around you. Shifting gears a little bit, I want to ask you a question that uh, I brought up during the uh, Voices of Summit. Uh, this is one of the interview questions because I'm, I'm very curious to hear your perspective. So it's an open-ended type thing. Okay. But what does the term civic tech mean to you? Yeah, I love that question. I know we talked about it um, on the GovLove podcast, too. Uh, I think, unfortunately, it's, it's starting to become a buzzword in local government circles. Um, but simply what I think it should be or what I would hope it would be um, from a broader perspective is just the, 
the willingness for governments to look out there and see how they can make uh, their processes or what they're doing more efficient. You know, you have great examples from the city of Cincinnati who was at the ELGL 18 conference in Golden with Lee Tammy and you know, using technology and data to take on you know, some of the biggest issues that we face as a society, whether it's the heroin uh, epidemic, uh, homelessness, um, and then to smaller issues, you know, I think that people relate to more uh, in the local government realm is, you know, can we use civic, civic tech to do a better job snow plowing and letting folks know where our snow plows are going and why we have street priority. So I think civic tech um, right now in local government has a pretty basic meaning of just trying to improve, of trying to look to technology and that may be stuff that we already have that may be our IT department putting together maps um, that, pull, that can pull out how much a household will pay extra from a local option levy. I think that's where a lot of our small and medium-sized cities, I think that's where they are. Um, some of your larger cities, like a Cincinnati, but you also have like the city of San Rafael, California, with Rebecca Woodbury doing incredible things. So for your local government, I think it's a wide-ranging definition, um, but I think as much, the, the key for us in, folk, in folks who are trying to get this more integrated in our daily work is to point at those examples, those successes that are easy to, not easy, but are able to be had. And that's, like I said, a lot of people go back to a snow plowing example or just being able to see their budget or their open data, their open data of their budget online. Um, so it's an interesting question and it's one I'll probably steal and use with our uh, future GovLove guests because I think you'll get uh, a wide range of responses. Oh, I, I agree wholeheartedly. That was something I noticed uh, going around to a crowd as well is everyone has their own kind of little twist on what that very simple set of words means. So I'll definitely be curious as I listen in on GovLove to uh, hear what folks have to say about that. Now, since you bring up Cincinnati, and as you know, Civic Tech Chat is a hard-hitting journalistic endeavor. So I, I have to ask you about something a bit unfortunate. I was kind of looking through uh, your Twitter account there, and I noticed that back in March, you tweeted an apology to your stomach just before trying a bit of Skyline Chili. So I have to ask, on a scale of 9 to 10, how much shame do you feel about that tweet? Oh, I, probably, uh, I'm probably an 8. I mean... I think Skyline Chili, and I know we're going to have a heated disagreement on this. I think that is a, uh, a trick, a joke, prank that Cincinnati is trying to play on all of us. I don't, I don't get it. Uh, I don't see the need for the noodles. I'm good with the chili. I think the noodles may, may be a, mu a bit much. Um, if I'm Cincinnati, if I'm a Ohio, I'm looking for something else to maybe stake my claim to as opposed to Skyline Chili. So I apologize if that's going to end this interview, but uh, I do have very strong opinions about Skyline Chili, and as you mentioned, as does my stomach. <laughs> well, your, your strong opinions are a part of the reason why we wanted to have you on here. So I guess uh, we'll, we'll continue. Perhaps next time we'll, we'll have to have you try it without the noodles. Maybe that is a bit of a barrier. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Okay, so on that serious note, um, I'd like to go ahead and uh, uh, move topics here and talk to you a little bit about your organization, uh, Engaging Local Government Leaders, or ELGL. As a base question to start us off, uh, what inspired you to uh, found that organization? So this kind of goes back a little bit to my why and some of my early answers. Uh, my wife and I relocated from Virginia to Oregon 10 years ago. She had a job I didn't. I spent six months trying to find one and sat through uh, countless informational interviews that led to very little really didn't even provide connections. Uh, and then sir, once I started work in local government in Oregon, uh, really became abundantly clear that we're not talking to each other as local governments. Um, I can't call, or it's difficult for me to call Lake Oswego or Tualatin and try to get information that uh, a citizen could walk up to the counter and get just as easy. So why, don't, why doesn't a person um, in the city manager's office have connections with these other departments from public works, community development. Uh, what I do in my day job is not, I don't spend eight hours a day talking to other senior man management analysts. I'm talking to all other departments. Um, and that, those connections didn't exist. So we started ELGL as a Port Portland area organization with 16 members uh, who met for lunch each month. Uh, and really 
expanded rapidly from developing a, a blog, uh, our Twitter account, our Facebook feed, uh, to now we have uh, roughly 4,000 members pretty much every state. And we've really coalesced now around this mission of engaging the brightest minds in local government. And I think our, our core tenets really highlight what we're trying to do. And one of those is just provide timely, relevant, real content. Um, and we do that through our GovLove podcast, uh, which we had you on. We've had Lee Tammy from Cincinnati on. Uh, we've had Sam from the city of Syracuse on. Uh, and letting folks know this is what's being done out there. Um, and then the equity and inclusion piece is also very important to us uh, because as I stated earlier, we're, we're not gonna have the best workforce we can have unless we're addressing and embracing uh, all of these different groups. So, and I think the one that may stick out or the area of ELGL that may stick out to your listeners is myself and our three board members recently uh, committed to one of our pillars is just in encouraging joy in public service. Uh, I think right now, especially on a federal level, it's sometimes difficult to, to have joy in what we do, to have a passion, to show a passion, uh, we do this at ELGL a number of ways, one through our City Hall Selfie Day. So I would encourage uh, your listeners to participate every August 15th. This is the third year in a row we've had City Hall Selfie Day, and that's just simply local government professionals. Sometimes it's state uh, government professionals just taking pictures, uh, selfies outside their office building. And I think uh, you may, if you're listening to, think that's a pretty small thing, but if, I would encourage you to go back and look at the, the last two years and the... Uh, the sheer joy that people have um, from sharing that um, experience and showing people where they work. Um, and it, not on the joy side, but beyond the kind of just being a realist and, and letting people know the struggles that we deal with. You know, at ELGO, we also take on uh, tough issues. Like we had one of our members just this week write about mental, mental illness, really raw about his struggles uh, with mental illness and how that impacted his career in local government. So. ELJ really is a wide-ranging um, organization, and I wouldn't say we're a cheerleader for government. We uh, realize that there is, are good things being done, uh, but also that there's a lot of room for change in local government. Hmm, nice. Oh, uh, since you mentioned the, uh, the City Hall Selfie Day, uh, could you one more time uh, tell us the date just to make sure everybody in the audience has it? And uh, is there a, a hashtag or anything we should use if we want to kind of be a part of the collective collection of photos there. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. City Hall Selfie Day is August 15th, uh, 2018. Uh, the hashtag is hashtag City Hall Selfie. Uh, we do give out awards for the best selfie. Uh, last year, we actually had uh, probably one of our highlights is the, the cast of Law & Order did a uh, selfie from the New York City uh, City Hall. So we welcome everybody, uh, everybody to participate. I believe last year we had over 250 uh, entries from different city halls across the country. Oh, that's really cool. I mean, who wouldn't want their selfie to be put up next to the cast of Law & Order there? Exactly, exactly. All right, so I'm going to ask you to make a hard choice here involving ELGL. So you're going to want to mentally prepare yourself. Okay. Who is your favorite ELGL board member and why? <laughs> oh, that is brutal. Uh, I love them all. Uh, so we have a uh, – right now we just have four – four people on the ELGL board, uh, one including myself. So, uh, and Ben Kittleson really was with us from the start. Um, and going back to the issue of mentoring and, and bringing people into local government, um, he's one of our proudest, uh, proudest members because he, we, he started working with us when he was an MPA student at the city of Port, or, uh, Portland State University um, and now is out working for the city of Durham, just doing incredible stuff and including uh, leading some of their initiatives with data uh, and getting the public involved uh, and uh, working with Josh Edwards, who uh, some of your listeners may know. So I would encourage your folks to check out what the, the city of Durham is doing in that realm. Um, but also Stacy Swigart, who is our Ohio representative. And uh, unfortunately, slash fortunately, she was the one who introduced me to Skyline Chili. Um, so <laughs> you guys, you would have a lot of connections there. But she's, been, she's brought a whole new perspective to ELGL from the communication side um, and also helping us professionalize the association. Uh, and then Dan with Route County, um, Colorado, is the deputy county manager out there. Um, and he's really helped us to grow us by uh, finding partnerships and sponsorships for 
for ELGL. And that's really one of the main reasons we've been able to grow as fast as we have. So as you may or may not noticed, I just went ahead and, and talked about each one of those members because uh, they're my, they're like my kids. So I, I can't possibly pick a favorite. Nice. I like how you kind of alluded to there being a favorite, but then methodically praised all of them. That was, uh, that was some pretty savvy answering right there. I figured if I talked fast enough, you couldn't cut me off, and I would just get in all three names. Or... <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that definitely worked. The, the other thing I'm getting the impression of is I'm clearly going to have to have a panel discussion episode focused on Skyline so we can, <laughs> we can sort this issue out. I'll, uh, I'll have to send you an invite when I put that together. I just I would ask you, when I was in Skyline, uh, Stacy rolled out the red carpet for me, but when I was asking the people who worked there, why isn't this in other states? They were like, well, we tried this in Michigan and, and Michigan didn't want it. So why do other states not embrace Skyline Chile? To me, that's, that, that, that's fishy a little bit, that they're not into it as much as, as Ohio people. Well, now uh, Florida has it, although I'll, I'll grant you it's probably mostly because everybody who retires in Ohio moves to Florida. You took the words right out of my mouth on that. That's <laughs> <laughs> probably more that it's just the Ohio part of Florida. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's great. So we talked about this a bit earlier when we were talking uh, more focused on you, but uh, you mentioned earlier the uh, diversity dashboard as an ELGL project. Um, was there anything more that you'd like to uh, delve into that uh, that perhaps we haven't covered already? Uh, the main thing I would say is, is when the data comes out, um, I, I would like people out there listening to push their states, their state organizations, uh, whether that's local government officials, uh, whether that's state government, um, push them on what they're doing. You know, when we present at conferences uh, on the dashboard, it's the 13% initiative. Um, and yes, for the for your listeners, I, I am a 40-year-old white male uh, speaking about this, but um, I am pretty passionate about it. When, you, when we present at these conferences on the topic, uh, I really encourage people to ask, what specifically are your organizations doing to advance diversity and inclusion? Um, there's a lot of organizations out there, a lot of them charging somewhat high level of, uh, or have a high cost involved. Um, so at the very least, they should be meeting your needs and your desires to see a more diverse workforce. Uh, and if they're not, I think that question is, is a good way to start a dialogue on what are we doing and what are we gonna do moving forward? Uh, personally, I'm tired of attending sessions on this topic. Uh, I think a lot of times it's just to pat ourselves on the back and then we move forward like it never happened. It's time for that to stop. Uh, it's great if we want to have sessions highlighting what other cities are doing and have done, um, but we need to stop talking in these, these general terms and we need to start doing something about it. Nice. I, I like the way you ended that answer because as you're talking, what I was sensing from you is you're kind of into that sentiment of perhaps we need a little less talking and more doing. And uh, so I think you had the perfect closer there. Um, another uh, ELGL project that came up uh, actually in our conversation uh, before we hit the record button here, was uh, you started describing to me a uh, portal that you were looking to put together to assist local leaders in the acquisition process with something that I think you described as a Yelp-like functionality, as far as like letting folks know what vendors are, are have given them a positive experience and, and the like. Uh, could you uh, talk a bit about your vision for that and what that might look like? Definitely. So it's called ELGO Connect, and I hope those who are listening turn the radio up or, or turn their earbuds up for this because I think I think it can really help us in what we're trying to do. Uh, you know, we've having having two kids and having shopped plenty. Uh, I think I've I've been on Amazon a bunch, and you read the reviews about your experience with this product or somebody else's experience with that product. Um, and we have vendors who talk about their experience with cities, and it's awful to work with this person, or it's really difficult to work with this city. Uh, but we've never looked at it from the other lens of the city standpoint. Um, we deal with, in my work in the city of Tiger, and I think we have probably over 200 active contracts. Uh, there's not right now a single place that I can go as a senior management analyst for the city of Tiger. Um, if my boss asked me, can you please go find um, the vendor that would best suit our needs to redesign our website? Um, if I was tasked with that, um, project right now. I'd be searching on the web. I'd co contact a couple of folks I know. Uh, what we're doing at ELGL is creating a one-stop shopping portal that you can go on. It's live right now. It has over 250 listings. We break it down um, by the different areas that people are 
these companies are working on, including civic tech. We have over 70 listings in that area and we have some subcategories. And so one, we're trying to build out who's listed. We want to list everybody out there. Uh, there's no barrier to entry. We will, we will put any company's name on there. Um, and then our members will go through, uh, members and non-members will have the ability to review their experience with a certain company. Uh, we have some of that on there right now. That's the part we're really trying to build out is are those reviews of how is your experience with this company? How is your experience with that? Um, one of the things short of that is we want to make it easier for us as local government professionals to be able to actually get a bid or a quote from a company. Um, I know I have sat through many demos before. Um, and then when it comes to what's the cost involved, uh, there's a lot of hemming and hauling and well, it depends on this and that. Um, we're developing listings where we'll either have that information right on there of how much it would cost an organization, or we'll have that contact information of who you can contact to get a real estimate cost, uh, a real cost estimate on the price of using this service. So I hope that uh, your folks listening will, will contact uh, me either e via email or Twitter because it really is something that we're trying to build up this next year. And, and I believe ELGL is uniquely suited to do it because uh, we're completely independent. We don't have any big organization or big company funding us. Um, it's literally membership dues and some sponsorships through our conference. So we don't have a dog in the fight, uh, but we do want to help our members make educated decisions on who the best vendor or contractor is to work with on a project. That sounds like a remarkable resource. And I have to admit the civic tech, like part of my brain has this very uh, strong tingling sensation hearing you describe it. And uh, I have to ask then, if there are folks out there uh, in our audience, which as you know, uh, consists of a lot of uh, civic technologists, and they want to pitch in and give you a hand with this project, is there any way for them to do so? And if so, how should they go about trying to get involved? Yes, please uh, contact me uh, either via Twitter or my email, which we can put up on this, on this blog post or we can put that out there. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot more to do um, right now. I think we need more companies, and I, I strongly believe that there's probably some better. Um, we could probably have more functionality of this tool uh, with the help of some people who have more experience. Uh, we've worked with Crowd City, who's revamping our website, um, but also trying to help us build out this tool. But uh, we really know we know there's some areas that need improvement. Uh, so I would welcome the opportunity to talk to folks out there who. Uh, who can take a look at it on our website and, and give us feedback. And if you have time to help, that would be even better. Excellent. And uh, in our uh, episode description here, folks, we'll have the, uh, the Twitter handle and uh, was it an email address was the other thing you mentioned? Yeah, either one is great. Okay, well, we'll place both of those in the uh, description so folks can reach out uh, with their offers to volunteer. Thank you. All right. Okay, cool. That is that section. All right. So now I would like to uh, go ahead and uh, talk a bit about the podcast specifically, uh, GovLove, which is one that I think is a pretty awesome one in its own right. Uh, could you introduce our audience to it and uh, tell them a little bit about it and most importantly, why they should tune in? Sure. It's, I, I think we can both agree between GovLove and uh, Civic Tech Chat. These are the top two podcasts out there uh, on iTunes. I'll let your listeners rank them quietly. Um, but GovLove, is, GovLove has been around for uh, probably four or five years now. We actually started off partnering with C-Click Fix uh, for the first year or so, and then they, they went their separate way. We went ours uh, and continued to develop the GovLove podcast. Uh, so we're really all about highlighting, highlighting the, people's, the people, policies, and the profession of local government. Um, and there's also uh, some other things kind of thrown in there. For example, uh, Malcolm Gladwell was a guest on the podcast last year. Uh, one of our members went, actually went to high school and college with him, interviewed for him in the podcast. Uh, we all recently had an NFL player, Connor Barwin, who has played for the Philadelphia Eagles and the LA Rams. He's uh, incredibly involved in the community of Philadelphia, building parks in underprivileged areas. But his dad is the city manager of the city of Sarasota, Florida. Um, so we had both of them on the podcast uh, about their work and you know, kind of trying to make the comparison or seeing if there was any comparison between the NFL and government. Um, so those are two episodes I would point out uh, to kind of highlight what we're about. 
um, in the podcast. And we've had uh, everybody from MPA students to mayors on our podcast. Uh, the mayor of Richmond, Virginia was on there about a year ago. So we want to take on the things that are interesting. Uh, that's why I think it was great to have have you on the podcast or record that episode a few weeks ago because um, it, go, it goes back to that knowledge and just connecting our folks with who's out there um, and how they can use that to improve their careers. Nice. And so in, in relation to the fact that we're the top two podcasts on iTunes, yeah. uh, one thing that is very serious about that and amazing is that GovLove is a very well-loved podcast. I believe when I last checked on iTunes, it has a rating of five stars, which is no easy feat. So I have to ask you, what's your secret? Uh, I'm definitely not going to steal it when you tell me. Uh, you can. You can steal our secret. Um, we do encourage uh, our folks to leave five-star reviews. Um, we'll do giveaways. Uh, so if you leave a five-star review, we have the new and exclusive ELGL 18 socks that we may send you. Um, we'll also give you the opportunity to uh, give input on future guests of the GovLove podcast. Um, and it's really something we do try to plug, obviously, partially for our own benefit, but also for our guests. I mean, these guests, we obviously don't pay them. They're taking time out of their, their careers, their day jobs. And uh, the more people who leave those reviews, uh, the more the podcast gets out there. Um, so that's been really helpful. Uh, and we do use Twitter a lot to publicize GovLove. And that's um, along with doing it on the podcast, giving away things on Twitter for folks who leave five-star reviews uh, has been another way to be, uh, be helpful in getting the word out there. But uh, to your kind of point, it is difficult. Uh, people aren't always thinking about leaving reviews, but it is amazing how, uh, how big of a difference that can, be, can make and something that I certainly try to do for the podcast that I uh, listen to. Awesome. Now, uh, when I last checked, the uh, podcast was up to, I think it was 178 episodes. Does, does that sound accurate to you? Yes, correct. Now, that, that's quite a bit of content. Uh, now, if someone was like just starting out, they just pop over there in their podcast app and they're ready to get started. Are there like one or two episodes you would say are like the ones they should listen to first? Sure, I'm biased. So we do have a rotating cast of um, people who host the podcast, but the episodes that, that I've done... Um, and I'll fall back on this one, Lee Tammy from the city of Cincinnati in talking about uh, civic tech and data, but also being a, at the time, I think a 29 year old female in a pretty prominent position in a city is something we also touched on and uh, was really powerful and went uh, along with, um, with our emphasis on diversity and inclusion and kind of breaking down those barriers and, and telling people's story about how they got there and, and realizing that it wasn't all easy. And, uh, our guests are usually pretty willing to be honest, uh, to be open and honest about what they've experienced in getting to their to that point in their career. Uh, and then the second one I would highlight: we interviewed a uh, Aaron Rouse, who is a candidate for the city of Virginia Beach City Council, who um, is a former former NFL player, also played for Virginia Tech in college. Um, and the reason we focused on him is he he started from he was basically born into the projects, lived his whole life in the projects. Um, had a had a for his first kid I think when he was 18 19 years old um, but made a commitment to raising that kid in the right way and since he ended his NFL career has really went on to do incredible work in the in the Virginia Beach community um, and now he's running for city council and those are two stories that stick with me and, and are ones that I, I would point your listeners to nice and I've noticed that there's kind of a pattern there of engagement with uh former NFL players who are very civically minded. Would you say that GovLove is the favorite podcast of that particular demographic? Uh, I think, yeah, it's been voted unanimously to nothing amongst that demographic. Um, but, you know, it, it is interesting because NFL players are often stereotyped, and I would be lying if I didn't sometimes stereotype what I think a, a typical NFL player is. But uh, you know, some of the, both of these stories I came across, my Google alerts uh, of – them running or them participating in these uh, in the Philadelphia playgrounds. And uh, it really is pretty cool to see what former NFL players are doing to use the name and recognition they have, you know, like any profession, we all have some that don't go on to do the best work, but um, they definitely are, are, are two shining examples for the NFL at this point. Absolutely. It's, it's always inspiring to see folks uh, trying to use like whatever their particular superpower is, or whatever platform they have to, uh, be them their best self. Definitely yep. inspiring to see that. 
Now, recently I've had some folks start to ask me for advice about starting their own podcast. Like I had a couple of conversations at Summit to that end. But given your success with GovLove, I'd like to go ahead and just pawn that off on you if you don't mind. Um, what would you tell someone who's just starting out? No, I love, I love that question. And we, uh, ELGO, have been getting that question more. And I, I love that people are asking because it, in my mind, it, uh, it is pretty easy. Um, I would say time is your biggest, uh, your biggest resource that you would have to use and, and just desire to dig in on a topic. Um, we, we learned a lot by trial and error. So I'm sure if you went back to episode eight, it probably wouldn't be as great as some of our latest ones. But uh, I think it's important for your listeners who might be considering that to realize there's, there's not a large financial commitment to it. Um, and I think it's a great way to interview and get to meet people that you just are curious about. That's the perspective that I use when I look for, uh, for guests to book. Um, so, you know, there's definitely ways you can upgrade your podcast or have some of the equipment that might help some with the sound, but we're pretty bare bones, uh, on the GovLove podcast in terms of money that we spend on equipment. So it's really hour and a half, two hours total with the interviewer being an hour and then the other half hour to hour being just prep time on figuring out questions that, that you want to learn. Um, and I would encourage anybody to, to, to have a Twitter feed or Facebook to push your information out there about the podcast even if you're not totally comfortable in social media uh, that's the way I, at least i find out a lot, lot about podcasts um, that are out there um, so i would i would simply encourage you to do it there's people uh, like both of us i'm sure more than more than willing to help um, but to get that out there and there are, there are a lot of areas that need to be addressed and you know the tip that i would have for guests and having conversations with people is to make them to make the conversation as specific as possible. Our listeners really want to know how they can take my, or my conversation with Ryan and use that in, in their job. Uh, what can they learn from my conversation with Ryan that they can take back and say to their manager or implement themselves uh, in their organization? Uh, that's really what folks are looking for, at least the kind of the GovLove crowd that we, we hear from. I'm really glad I uh, passed that question to you because that, that was an excellent answer. And uh, I think folks that are interested in that have a lot of notes to take. They, they may even want to go ahead and go back and re-listen to that part. Uh, there's a lot of wisdom there. And related to that, what would you say has been your favorite thing about being a podcast host? And what would you say has been your least favorite thing? Uh, the easiest, that, that's uh, the easy, or the, my favorite, that, that's the easy part. Um, I interviewed Brand, uh, Brandon Babb from um, Anchorage and Sam from the city of Syracuse probably a year ago um, about what they're doing with open data code for America. You know, both of those organizations are leading the way. Uh, and the rewarding part was the interview, but also afterwards, uh, I believe it was Brandon who followed up with me about an email that he had received from another, somebody who had heard the podcast and wanted to know how they could do this in their organization. And it was something pretty simple and something that Brandon definitely could help with. But that really is at the core of why we do these podcasts. It's, it really is. We want people to learn uh, from these superstars out there. So just to see that, you know, kind of warms my heart a little bit in a, in a, I guess a cheesy way, but uh, really was powerful and something that I think about um, sometimes when, you know, time is of the essence and there's other things you can be doing and debating on whether to interview somebody or not. Uh, it's always good to keep in mind that there, there are people out there listening and they really are getting value out of it. To change a whole another level, my least favorite memory uh, or challenging was interviewing the the mayor of Nashville at the time, Mayor Barry. This was probably <clears throat> two months before uh, she was removed from office for a whole host of indiscretions that were not known at the time. Um, the podcast that episode is still up and live on um, on GovLove, but it was really. One, the interview was challenging because I chalked it more up to interviewing mayors. Sometimes are difficult. They're not always as forthcoming as other folks. Um, and then looking back on it, when stuff started to come out about um, she had basically misused funds, state funds, with somebody she was having uh, an affair with. Uh, really looking back on that episode, and, and it just felt very uncomfortable. Uh, kind of sense that maybe she was hiding something. Um, we've had people, I've had people contact me that want me to take the episode down. They want me to write a big diatribe about why this was a horrible episode and why she's a horrible person. 
I don't believe in any of that. I, I disagree on all accounts. Um, and one of the things, the positives of that interview was she had a son who passed away um, from an opioid overdose a couple years ago. So it did give her a platform, another platform to talk about that. Um, and I know that part did connect with some listeners, but you know, to the overall negative, you never know what's going to happen to some of these folks six months down the road, a year from the, down the road on uh, their careers. So that's always kind of a uh, touch and go. And um, that experience especially definitely sticks out in my mind. Well, I, I can definitely understand why. It, it sounds like you've had to go through a pretty heavy bit of consideration uh, after the fact, uh, weighing kind of the, I guess, the pros and cons of the platform and then like how that person's viewed afterwards how, and how that reflects upon the, the podcast. Yeah, I mean, it's, these, are, these are point in time interviews. I, I guess I understand what people are saying. I, I guess I don't actually understand why I, we should remove a podcast from somebody who did what she did. Um, I think it does give insight to the person like I said, there was some good that she's done and probably will continue to do, but uh, it, it wasn't an endorsement of she's the greatest person ever, but you know, it just highlighted her career to that point and uh, had no desire to, to remove that from our, our listening. Yeah, I, I definitely hear you there. I, I think, and, and while, while perhaps what we do isn't exactly a, a journalistic pursuit, despite what I said earlier in our conversation, <laughs> you end up at times close to those fringes. And when you do something like that, you know, you're going to talk to people that aren't always going to make the best decisions. And I don't think it's particularly fair then to, uh, I guess, impose their actions upon, a, you know, a conversation that happened in the past. So I, I, I think I can definitely grok what you're, what you're uh, expressing there. Right. Still on the topic of podcasts, perhaps on a, a bit of a lighter note, uh, do you have any podcast recommendations you might give uh, to our audience out there as far as ones that uh, you enjoy. I do. Uh, Pardon My Take is a sports slash comedy podcast. Uh, it somehow actually ranks ahead of us in the iTunes charts, but I'm sure we'll fix that. But uh, that one is kind of an inspiration for me and in, in how I like to do podcasting with trying to throw in kind of like you've done today, throw in some semi-serious questions, um, kind of get people a little bit off the normal talking points. And they, it's mainly a sports podcast, but they'll also have some, some people in other realms there. Uh, the David Axelrod podcast, uh, The Axe Files, is one, uh, probably one of the first podcasts I started to listen to, uh, mainly because I think his first or second guest was Mitt Romney, and it was shortly after, um, after the election. And I really welcome podcasts that have both sides of the equation on or both sides uh, of a debate on, uh, and David Axelrod's done a good job. Um, with that. So those are the two podcasts that, well, the third one, obviously being civic tech chat, those are the ones that I really, when something, when a new episode pops up, uh, I get really excited about. Awesome. Those sound like some pretty fantastic recommendations. Uh, in particular, I, I think I'm going to go try to hunt down that, that Axelrod Romney conversation. That just seems like that would be a particularly intriguing thing to listen to, especially if it was uh, shortly after the election, as you, as you described. Yep. All right. So one of the things I like to do with the program, of course, is to uh, give the guests the, the last word, the, the last chance to kind of leave us with the thought they'd like to. So in that vein, are there any concluding thoughts you'd like to leave us with? Sure. I, thank, for, thank you for this opportunity. And I, I love the, uh, I've been on a couple of podcasts before, but I love the, the realm of questions that you've had today. And I hope it's been good for your, for your listeners. I'll put in a little bit of a shameless plug um, to anybody and everybody out there. Uh, I hope you'll join us at e in the ELJ on what we're trying to do. Uh, we really are trying to appeal to everybody in the realm uh, in our mission of trying to engage the brightest minds in local government. Um, and whether that's you, whether you join as an official member or you just participate um, in our online conversation and dialogue on Twitter or our Facebook group uh, or listen to our podcast, uh, we really are trying to increase our reach of, of uh, our members and also who is hearing from us. So. I think uh, whether it's the vendor directory that we talked about earlier, I think that's definitely one area uh, where your expertise uh, probably trumps ours uh, very in, in a large, uh, large way. Um, so we'd welcome that, uh, that those comments. Uh, if you're willing to volunteer and help with that, uh, I'd appreciate that too. Um, and I'll hammer in, hammer home again uh, as my last comment, um, just the piece about diversity and inclusion in our organizations. 
uh, we've read the articles, we've read the studies. Um, please go back to your organizations and see what they're doing and see how you can help um, in making them, making them get out of their comfort zone uh, and develop, these or develop an organization uh, that better represents our community out there. Do it for my eight-year-old, Eleanor, my six-year-old, Josephine, who hopefully will be listening to this podcast. Do it for them, make their careers easier when they get to that point where they're judged more on what they know uh, and less on, on who they are as, as a gender. After that, I, I don't know who out there could, could say no. So definitely, uh, folks out there in the audience, please go, go support ELGL. Uh, give the GovLove podcast a listen and be involved in that community and, and its projects. Uh, it is definitely doing some things that are helping the public good, which is, of course, our shared mission here at Civic Tech Chat. And uh, Kent, I want to thank you so much for uh, taking the time out of your day to come talk to us and kind of help us build bridges between uh, a couple of communities of people. And uh, hopefully that's something we'll continue to do as we go along here. So before you kick me off, I, I do have one uh, proposal for you. I, I would like this to become a uh, reoccurring, uh, reoccurring episode. Every year, I think we should get together and kind of touch base on uh, progress we made, progress we haven't made, um, progress we can help each other with. You know, I think these dialogues between different groups who, who do somewhat have similar missions, uh, it would be great to have you as a, as a reoccurring guest every year on ELGO's GovLove. So you can give us that insight into the uh, civic tech community and what we're missing or what we can be involved in uh, and then vice versa. I think that would be, be a great next step uh, for us um, and hopefully our listeners have enjoyed uh, these two interviews that we've had. That, that sounds like an amazing idea. Uh, there is a ton of alignment in what both you and I are trying to do as well as what I imagine our audiences out there want to have happen in the world. So I, I agree wholeheartedly. Let's, let's keep this thing going. Right on. You can follow us on Twitter using the handle at Civic Tech Chat. Visit us on the web at civictech.chat or subscribe to us for content updates wherever it is you download your podcasts.